As you walk through the desert, the heat is overwhelming. I take a swig from my canteen to make sure I don't get dehydrated. As you take your drink, something cold lands on your nose. But cold? What is it? It's a snowflake. And as you look up, a massive snowstorm is brewing. Wait, we're in the desert. How is it snowing? As the snow accumulates in massive drifts, a giant squid lurches out to attack you. Well, you said we weren't near any bodies of water. How is a squid even alive? In this episode of Becoming DM, we work on creating a dynamic and engaging settings in which your players will be campaigning. Hey everybody, this is Felicia. And this is John. And this episode is actually going to be broken into two parts. We had so much to talk about, about building your own setting yep. that uh, it just wouldn't fit in one episode. Mm -hmm. So good news for you, more episodes about world building. And, uh, and so we'll, ha we'll have this one this week. And then in two weeks, we will have a more advanced session on, on building your setting. More finite details. But let's go ahead and get to our topic. Yes. And just like any of the other topics in this, uh, this building your own world, building your own campaign, we want to make sure that we, we reiterate this, that you should start small. Because mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of stuff we're going to talk about here. Yes. And if you do all of it at once, it's going to be a lot of work that you may not be able to leverage. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to burn yourself out. And we had kind of emphasized this on a previous episode that, you know, it's, it's kind of best to stick to the basics first before you really try to overcomplicate things um, for both you and your players by building this crazy, expansive world that, you know, they may not even be um, campaigning in. So definitely start small, start little, start simple. It's the best way to go. Yeah, and and just to that, uh, a, a game that I'm I'm running right now. Mm. Uh, when I got to the point of building the map, I I built the basic land map mass, but I only filled in the parts of the map that the players would know about. Yeah. And the excuse was, this is the player's map, so they're only going to see what they know about. And then as they learn more stuff, I'll go in and edit the map. Um, it's a it's a way to keep my my load light as well as to provide a little bit more realism to the to the maps that they have yeah and i know even on like my first campaign i the only thing i had visually set out that i actually drew out was the town that my players started in the forest next to it and then the tomb that they were going to end up at which was in the middle of the forest and i had the pathway drawn out between point a and point e or point b and that's it that's all i had that was about as simple as my map got so yep and since we're talking about uh, building the setting, the the first the first decision that that you as the the world builder, the DM, mm -hmm. probably should make is whether you're going to build or borrow. Yes. Um, and and by that, various role playing games have various settings. Mm -hmm. So you've done uh, Forgotten done, Realms. You've done Forgotten Realms in D and D, and of course, Pathfinder has Galarian. Mm -hmm. um, if you're playing something like uh, like Shadowrun, it's a lot mainly set in Seattle and the Seattle sprawl and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Um, some of the some of the other games, like some of the cool like into the world games, are set in your home your own hometown. Which I always thought was kind of cool. Um, so when you when you start talking about building your setting, you can you can use those entirely and just build build your story on top of that, mm -hmm. or you can use those as a starting point. Yeah, and and some of those are very expansive um, worlds. I mean, like Forgotten Realms within D and D is a very expansive realm. So I mean, there's there's smaller sets of geography within Forgotten Realms. So I mean, you can really go to town. 
past several campaigns that I've done, in addition to the one that um, one of the other ones that I built, was related to Fandalen, which was in the Forgotten Realms. So, I mean, and we haven't even broken out out of that yet. So, um, there's a lot to choose from when it comes to using um, already pre-existing worlds. And if there's if there is a pre-existing world that you like, but it's missing let's say one aspect there's a particular town that you wish were there mm -hmm. well just take that map and hey look there's a new That's town it. there that, that yeah. you guys didn't know about before all of a sudden <laughs> so it, it's it's really um it's, this is a good starting point mm -hmm. an easy starting point if you've never done any world building and you're and you're really more focused on maybe say the story mm -hmm. than than anything else uh if you want to forego building the setting, mm -hmm. um, you could just pick one of those settings and, and go from there. Yeah, it makes it pretty straightforward. Uh, and once you have, the majority of, of this podcast is, is going to be focused on the saying that you've built, you're going to build it. Yes. Of course, some of this can be applied to the borrow if you're going to expand it, but, but we're going to make the assumption that you've decided to build yes. uh, for the rest of the episode. Um, and when, uh, w when you've decided to build it, the first thing you should kind of get out of the way is some of the basics. Mm -hmm. And what are, what are some of the basics that you kind of see uh, when, you're, when you're building that world? Well, I think when it comes to like creating your own realm and your own world, you just kind of think of like <laughs> the laws of nature. Um, you know, how do things actually work in your world? Um, you know, is it like the real world here where it's, you know, physics work in a certain way and there's not really like any type of... Uh, magic present, you know, people can't just fly, you know, you don't just sprout wings and, you know, fly off into the air. So you have to think about that when you build your realm, you know, can, are there, are there people or creatures that are able to fly that don't normally, like, say in our world, like, besides birds, um, you know, are there things like magical creatures such as dragons, you know, is there even magic at all in this world? Um, what kind of, you know, technology, you know, do you have swords, maybe guns or do you actually have like computers and elevators and things like that you want to kind of sort of delve into the nitty-gritty of like just exactly what is working in your world um and how people and creatures interact within those realms and, and each of these decisions that you make can really um has has its own pluses and minuses so mm -hmm. if you say that that this world is very much like the world that we live in as far as um, physics, as far as technology, things like that. Um, sure, it's it's an easy way to develop the world that you're living in because you can just say, yeah, it's just like just like Earth. Yeah. But the, the, the challenge, I'll say, is when you get to where you have players that have these player characters and they want to do something and you say, well, no, that's really not something that your character can do. Mm -hmm. And they say, well... I can do this here. Let me show you, and throw a <laughs> throw a, a brick at. I, I saw something where somebody was like trying to throw something in a mannequin head to take the head off. Oh. And so they threw it at a mannequin head to prove that they could do it, and and that may not be oh really what you want to have to deal with <laughs> as a DM every time you turn around. One of your players saying, "Well, I can do that. I Why can't my that? character?" Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um. So. Just saying it's just like our world has has its own benefits and disadvantages. For sure, uh, and, yeah. and then if you build your own custom uh, laws of nature, uh, things like maybe you you can jump higher than anywhere mm -hmm. or you can fly or 
people breathe underwater or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's there's work to go into what the intricacies of that are mm -hmm. and what things work and what things don't. Absolutely. And then also being able to uh, expand upon that to your players so that they understand what those things that they can and can't do are without, I mean, because you're dropping them in this game. So yeah. there's got to be some way to, to pass this information along. No, for sure. And, and there are games out there too, um, even if it's not necessarily like this particular world, but you know, there are those RPG games that involve like, let's say everyone in your group is some type of like vampire or werewolf or related. And so there are restrictions related to those particular races. Maybe like in this particular game where someone or a part of your team is a vampire, then you know, you can't go out into daylight or you're susceptible to X, Y, and Z. So those are things to think of too. If you decide you want to start creating a world where not only do those creatures exist, but maybe your players actually are those types of characters as well. You need to think of what rules you're creating for those particular kinds of creatures. And if you're making rules around those creatures that that make it more challenging mm -hmm. to play the story, yeah. keep that in mind because if if you have events in your story that are happening during the day and they can't go outside during the day, then um, then you got a problem. Yeah. And, and maybe that's a problem you want to give them that they have to overcome, Yeah. Uh, but you have an, a problem nonetheless. Yeah. Um, I think another thing to keep in mind is just the passage of time, seasons, you know, what kind of seasons are there? Are the days really long? Are the nights really long? Is this a world where it's night primarily most of the time? You know, like up in Alaska where the majority of the day is, is either all day or all night, you know, do you have an even distribution between both? Uh, is it a certain season? You know, is there a lot of snowfall? Are you a part of the, in the world where it's all tropical? Um, it's, you know, very lovely, mild climate mm -hmm. all year round. Um, and how do those impact the adventure that your players are, are going to be, um, you know, working within? Yeah, and the question really is, is does that even matter? Yeah. Um, it's a matter that it's, it's spring and there's yeah, lovely flowers blooming. Because I've definitely played in games where, um, and, and this is a, this is a, I guess, a, maybe a shortcut the DM was taking where, you're in the world, but at no point was weather really discussed. Yeah. Now, I think that if, as a DM, you choose to, to go that way, it can really add another dimension to sure. the game because players have to start planning. Like, mm -hmm. well, it's it's snowing out. We, we probably need appropriate clothes. Or it's raining out. Um, is that going to affect my perception when I try to see what's going on around mm -hmm. me? Is it raining really heavy? Or, yes. or things like that. So I, I think that that keeping time as well as how those things interact mm -hmm. uh, can really add some to the game, sure. but it's also another thing to keep track of as a DM. So if you're yes. just starting out doing this, it may be something that you just say, we're setting this aside for now. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I did when I started. I, I just didn't really want to overcomplicate it by adding in extra small little things. That it was just one more thing for me to have to keep track of. So again, you know, emphasis on just keeping it simple and straightforward if, if you were just starting out. Yeah. Um, so once you've kind of gotten those basics uh, grasped in your mind and you're, you're ready to, to move on to, your, you've got all these ideas and you're mm -hmm. like, I want a map. <laughs> I, want to, I want to place all this stuff out so that I can see uh, where things are happening in my world. Uh, and, and again, my preference is to build those maps where you only see what the players know about. Yeah. But if you have a desire to build out more of your map and to do it without, um, without a lot of effort necessarily, mm -hmm. 
there's a couple of methods out there. Uh, the one that I've seen most frequently commented on is the dice drop method. Mm. And, uh, and this is where you take a bunch of dice and you assign certain things on your map to each one. So maybe the D4s are mountains mm -hmm. and uh, the D20, maybe you only have one of those and it's a capital city. And the, the D12s are, mm. are cities and, and you assign different values to each different dice. And if you're interested in doing this, I would recommend just look up dice drop map making method yeah. uh, on Google because I'm not going to remember what all the dice are supposed <laughs> to be. But you take this big handful of dice and you have got multiple of each kind and you drop them on a piece of paper and you draw kind of the outline of the land around where the dice fell and then you mm -hmm. replace the dice with the, the markers on the map for what they stand for. It sounds actually pretty a pretty cool way of just creating a map. You know, I think a lot of people struggle with layout. You know, like, where do I put mountains? Where do I put forests and cities? And, and just like in nature where, you know, nothing is necessarily exactly planned out ahead of time, it just happens. It's a pretty cool way to like create your own map in your own world. Like, big bang, bam. Yep. <laughs> Now, the, the thing that I have always puzzled over with it, I have not personally done this method. I've, I've seen people post videos of it, things mm -hmm. like that. But the thing that always um, makes me, we'll say cock my head to the side a little bit, is uh, you, you sometimes will end up with, with land in a very different way than it maybe would naturally be formed. Mm -hmm. But... As the DM, you can you can say that this is like this because the world is like this, and yeah. there are different sorts of geological patterns that happen in this world that are different than our real world. Yeah, that cause that to happen. That's true. Um, you know, for me, when I was starting to build mine, I personally just referenced existing Forgotten Realms maps when I was creating my own as like my actual reference, like seeing how they had their layout and how their maps were created. Um, that was kind of what I used for my starting point. Um, so if you're just trying to figure out, like, I don't even know, I don't necessarily know if the dice drop method is right for me. I'd rather look at a map that has maybe like more logical layout of, of geographical features than, yeah, I mean, reference like a current existing Pathfinder map or a current Forgotten Realms map or a regular map, you know, of, of you know, Africa or the United States or Europe and just, yeah just see how the geography looks and how it's laid out and you can just mimic that and create something similar of your own. And if you're looking at, at real world maps, you can also find maps of medieval Europe if yeah. you wanted to have that kind of flavor of mm -hmm. little hamlets and, and bigger towns that, yeah. that weren't major metropolises like they are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the the kind of, uh, the, the way that, uh, I've typically made maps is with map making tools on the computer. Mm -hmm. So there's several that are out there. I think we've talked about them in the, the cool tools episode. I think that was episode three. Um, <laughs> um, um, Incarnate is one that is online. Uh, there's a free version and then a paid version where you get higher res maps. Uh, I personally use Wonderdraft uh, because you pay for it once and you get all these cool high res stuff that you can do. Um, and that's the one I'm familiar with. So I'll talk about what it kind of does. And when you start, you can either build your world mass on your own, mm -hmm. or you can have it basically auto generate land masses. And if you see one that you like, you can keep on regenerating and it'll keep on doing different land mass shapes. If you see one that you want, um, you can take that land mass and then start filling in stuff like 
like mountains mm -hmm. and streams and cities and towns and all that stuff. So it's a, it's a way to get you started with a landmass, but allows you a little bit more freedom of creativity to, to build in the stuff in the middle there. Mm. Pretty cool. You would know stuff like that. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> You're a wealth of resources. <laughs> Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Midroll. We're sponsored again this week by Darkwind. Whether you're exploring the caves on Volcano Island, trekking through the desert while trying not to die of thirst in Suvriel, or battling golems in the underworld, there's adventures waiting for you in Darkwind. Blending classic text-based games with modern-day role-playing games, it truly is a unique experience on the internet. But don't take my word for it. Play for free by pointing your browser to play.darkwind.org. We'll see you there. Now let's get back to the show. Once you kind of have that that map, um, one of the things that you were mentioning earlier is yeah. to think about what lives there. Yeah, I mean, you know, flora and fauna. Like, I mean, you just think of, of the appropriate, you know, type of vegetation and greenery that's in that particular particular area in addition to the wildlife and the animals that live there. Uh, you know, like on our little skit we did before, you're not going to find a giant squid in the middle of a desert. Um, just like, you know, you're probably not going to find a snow dragon or anything like that there either. Like you have to just think, you know, if you're creating these particular, you know, realms and these particular climates, then what normally grows in those types of climates? Of course, you can Google any of this, but it's just something just to keep in mind for authenticity purposes. Um, and, and just, you know, again, it all kind of goes back to, again, like the, the rules of, of, physics, the laws of physics and how everything works and things like that um, within your particular realm. You just want everything to kind of line up properly. Well, and, and some of it could also be what sort of monsters you find there. Yeah, and that absolutely. could get that could get beyond the actual what you would naturally find there. Like, oh, that's the dark forest. That's where it's 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 inhabited by thousands of undead. Yeah. We never go there. <laughs> um, and, and that that in itself what things live where, what creatures you find there, mm -hmm. can be a building, a starting point for building your story. Yeah, exactly. Just things to sort of preemptively think about. Um, and, and in a way, one of the small things for me, like I know we were talking about keeping it basic, but this is probably one small, like extra little detail that I would recommend adding, even though we are trying to keep it simple. This is one thing that I think is something that's worth contemplating before you start your campaign, so. Yep. Um, and sort of like lending information to that kind of thing is mm -hmm. you, we talk about climate. Yeah. So we're, we've been building our map with, with just an idea of the physical components of it. Yeah. But once you start having that, you can start making delineations of where, where is a more temperate zone, mm -hmm. what, what areas are maybe more desert-like or yeah. more cold. And, and I mean, you can go with the earth-like thing where in the north it's it's cold yeah. and when you get further south or towards the middle it, it gets hotter yeah. and when you get to the way south it gets cold um and and that's a perfectly reasonable easily explainable way sure. to build a world i've also seen people who who put like this vast winter tundra in the middle mm -hmm. and then have on the north and south different stuff mm -hmm. so yeah it really and you can explain that away by saying, oh, yeah, there's multiple suns yeah, or it totally. orbits a different way or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's, again, you know, this is just the rules that you're creating ahead of time. And, 
You may even keep your campaign and your world so simple that you haven't even expanded into other regions yet. You may just be focusing on one type. Yeah. Maybe yours is a solely a desert and you're sticking to that desert climate for X amount of sessions because you just haven't thought that far ahead. And that's totally fine. Um, again, just going back to what you would normally find in a desert, how deserts normally work, and just thinking about how you're going to kind of weave that into your, your um, campaign for your players. But one of the reasons it's important to think about at least the starting climate mm -hmm. um, is because climate can really affect scarcity of stuff. Oh yeah, you're not going to find a bunch of water and food in the desert. So exactly. <laughs> um, um, and if if you're if you're in the mountains, maybe the mountains that you're in don't have a lot of trees, and so all the yeah. all the buildings are built from stone or oh, yeah. whatever. Um, all, all that stuff comes into play once you've decided the the climate that you're you're working with. Oh yeah, I mean like um, more temperate or you know jungle environments. You know, there's just so much wetness and humidity in the air. It makes fire building very difficult. So you can even throw small minute details like that in it, and maybe your players have to roll to see how successfully they actually get to create a fire, um, or are they just going to huddle together. Uh, you know, during the night and see how that goes for them. And and the key thing is, is that all the things that we're talking about here are things that you as a DM could probably individually decide, mm -hmm. I'm not going to have this here, or yeah. I am going to have this here. Um, if, if, if you have it there, it's going to add more depth to the world and mm -hmm. it's going to make it more... Um, it's going to get them more, your players more involved in it. And, oh, yeah. and when you say stuff like, oh yeah, it's really humid and damp here. You had trouble lighting the fire. Mm -hmm. That's going to put their headspace in a little bit more where, where you're at. Yeah. And then they're going to have to get creative on, well, I really need a fire to cook my food or whatever. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's brainstorm some ways to do that. Exactly. Sort of reminds me of a like Oregon trail when things go wrong and then you have to figure out what to do or you're going to die of malaria. Who knows? You never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, now we've kind of talked about like maps and climate and geography, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about natural geography, but you know, obviously the, the big main thing and in many campaigns, the starting point for a lot of your players is towns and cities. Um, and this is a very, very important aspect for any campaign. It's the place where your characters will replenish their stocks, where they will trade, um, earn money, um, you know, they're going to interact with a lot of other things, you know. Maybe find out what their next quest is. Exactly. Or, uh, you know, get into trouble and get thrown in jail for murder hoboing exactly. too much. Who knows? <laughs> but um, cities is, a, is an important part. Definitely need to have, um, contemplate on that, too, when you're creating your world. Yeah. And, and uh, as you said, a lot of adventurers start out in the city mm -hmm. um, whether they stay there or not is a completely different situation oh yeah for sure um but that is one thing to consider as you as you're building out the area um is is have in the back of your mind what kind of story you're thinking about running because if it's if it's going to be wholly based in the city then you're going to need to spend a lot more time developing what this city looks like and yes. what what things are going to be there mm -hmm. maybe even build a map for that city yeah um, a map within a map um uh, but if it's just going to be a, a waypoint where they mm -hmm. do some things, obviously you can spend a little less time doing that. Uh, maybe just use theater of the mind to describe where things are instead of the map, um, things like that. Oh, yeah. So um, when we talk about building cities, we, we've already talked about the map um, for the overall region. Mm -hmm. We need to understand what cities you're going to start with on that map. So yeah. there's, there's typically going to be your starting point. But there's going to be some relationship often between two or three more cities that are mm -hmm. out there. 
and understanding that they're there and what those relationships are can really be a good starting point. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, there can be trading towns and they, you know, trade certain goods within each other. Like you were saying, there could be a capital city where you get to find information on, you know, ancient elven language and, you know, get to trade precious gemstones that you couldn't do in a trading town, you know, further out. Um, Determining what you can do in what cities, how those cities interact with each other. Um, at some point in time is important. I mean, if you're not at the point where you're ready to create more than one city, again, that's totally fine. But it's also just important to set limitations on what particular town or city you've created, like what that is, so that you know where you can create those opportunities in another city or another town. Um, and any city or any town can provide opportunities for your players. Like I, when I was running a campaign, when I do no- normally my campaigns, I allow like each of my players to have like a type of skill that um, they can offer the residents of the town every time they go back to town in order to have an opportunity to earn money besides just from like foraging or adventuring. So, you know, maybe a person is um, you know good with herbalism. Maybe someone's good with calligraphy. Um, so I normally let my players once they come into town, they can roll their twenty-sided dice, and that determines how much they've earned um, for their skills um, once they've come back into town. So it's like an opportunity you can provide in any town or any city. Um, you mentioned about kind of interacting with like military and guards, things yeah, like that. Yeah, so so let's kind of talk about, we've been talking about like multiple cities on the map. Let's talk about one city. Yeah. So, um, and, and the size is really going to determine a lot of the things that we're talking about. So mm-hmm. probably where, as you look to build a city, you should determine what the size of the populace is. Yeah. Um, and... And what I have typically used as a good rule of thumb measure is I will go onto Google and look up average average city size for a medieval city. Yeah. And oftentimes it'll tell you like for Hamlet's this, for a, a large city it's this, medium city it's this, mm-hmm. and give you an idea population-wise what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, yeah, you do have to decide how is this how is this city or town protected. Uh, is there, a, is it a military outpost? Uh, is it maybe just some little small podunk town that doesn't have military? It's, it's guarded by the, the farmers and their pitchforks, yep. um, running, running bandits off, hopefully. Good old pitchfork. Um, or is there a trained, uh, a trained town guard mm. that, uh, that you don't want to mess with necessarily? Yeah. Um, and there's a number of reasons why we do that. Uh, first off, uh, as you can probably guess from listening to our other episodes, if you do end up with a murder hobo mm-hmm. group of players, you still want to have there be consequences. And so yeah. having defined what the town's um, protection status is, we'll say, mm-hmm. can really keep you from having to, to off the cuff oh, yeah, there's guards over there now. Um, yeah, they're going to stop you. <laughs> but if they walk into the town and you give them an idea of what that presence looked like as they walk in, yeah, it feels less like you're making stuff up to stop them and more like it's part of the part yeah. of the city that they're already acting in. Yeah. Um, and one thing that, that you kind of briefly touched on uh, is, is trade. So the size of the city and... And how uh, how wealthy they are can really determine what sort of things that they'll buy from the players, what sort of things they'll have for sale. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, have you had any? Uh, you were mentioning um, the town that you're you're working with your players with not being able to buy some of the more wealthy jewels and things like yeah, that. Yeah. So the town that we have is like kind of a, a trading and a mining town. 
um, just like a kind of settler's town, maybe like a step above like an old, old west kind of a town. So yeah, there are, they can buy weapons there, they can buy certain goods and things like that. But, you know, maybe there are certain types of potions they can't necessarily get there. Um, if they, if for certain particular precious stones, they can't trade them there, they just don't have the means to do so. Um, if they find scrolls or tomes of like certain ancient languages, there's not really a person there to be able to translate it for them. Um, if there's no one within the group that knows how to. Um, magic is also limited as well as far as like if there's a, a person of the capability to, you know, handle certain magical items or give a little more insight into them. Um, so it's just because it's a smaller town with more limited resources, there are, more, you know, less things that they are able to accomplish in those towns or in my particular town. And, and when you take into account those sorts of resources and what things that they can trade in, mm -hmm. um, it can also affect the price of things. Oh, so, yeah, absolutely. So for a smaller town, something that is is harder to get is obviously going to probably be more expensive. But in a larger town, you may have more expensive things across the board just because the real estate costs more mm -hmm. for that shop to exist in that space. Uh, because the land is more valuable because okay. there's all these people there. When you can also think of, uh, you know, again, back to like the plant and fauna that are indigenous to that area, you know, maybe a certain type of plant that's used in a certain herbal potion is very common in where that town is. So it maybe is cheaper, but you go to like a more large city that's further away and it's not a common, you know, resource. So then it is the price goes up on it. So just small, minute things to think of if, if you decide you do want to get into that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and as you um, as you kind of build out, if it's a city that you're spending a lot more time building out because you're going to spend a lot of time in there, mm -hmm. um, you probably want to spend time defining what shops exist in that space. Oh, yeah. Um, if there's just a shop that, for a small town, maybe just a shop that de deals in general goods mm -hmm. all around. For larger towns, you can have very specialty businesses. Uh, you can talk. You can figure out what other unique businesses might be there. Mm -hmm. um, maybe there's a maybe there's a used magical goods shop where yeah. where he the magical goods good. may or may not work the way they're supposed to <laughs> all the time. Um, but but uh, it, with a larger town, you have a little bit more flexibility to do that. Small oh, yeah. towns, you're you're probably going to have one, maybe two shops. Yeah, I mean, and it, and if you really want to get into it, maybe there's more than one type of armory that you mm -hmm. get to choose from. Maybe they specialize in something or you can barter better with one than you do with the other because you know you might be able to offer them something that you couldn't for the other. Yeah, like well in Pathfinder you have the ability to do uh, masterwork uh, weapons and armor yeah. and maybe, maybe there's only one armorer that does the masterwork stuff, mm -hmm. but he's backlogged and so you're you can you can order it, but it's gonna take weeks, months, whatever to, to get it made. Yep. Um, so Lots of ways that you can kind of play with the shops to make your cities a little bit more believable instead yeah. of just having like saying, okay, what are you going to do? Oh, we're going to go sell stuff. All right, well, take half of whatever it's worth in the book and, and you're done. Yeah. Um, having the, those shopkeeper interactions can mm -hmm. make it more uh, enriching as well as give you the avenue to provide more hooks into different stories. Absolutely. Um, lastly on the cities is if there's any special currency. Now, typically, what I've done is there's a, the, a currency of the land, mm -hmm. it's gold pieces or whatever. Status quo. But, uh, but you could fe feasibly have something where, um, where there's some sort of special currency that you only get for doing certain things yeah. that 
certain items, certain more sought after items are only purchasable with this one type of currency. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen anything like that? In I, I haven't in particular, but I do know, um, so when we did a campaign with a different GM, um, we had it where there was a major conflict that it was essentially like a civil war mm -hmm. and it had divided the realm in two. And so it, it happened to be over time that each half had its own currency. So if you happen to go across the border into one, you just had to be very mindful of the currency that you were using because one, not only was it no good, but then it was like the currency of a traitor. Right. So it led to a whole, a whole wealth <laughs> of problems. And we had to be very specific about like, if we were to buy something, we had to say what we were using to buy it. Um, so there's just that, again, to keep in mind, if you decide you want to add that little extra, I wouldn't say complication, but you know, if you do want to add something like that within your realm, um, it's just definitely something that, you, like you were saying, can add to the enrichment of the encounters your players have with the various NPCs. So I think that's what we're going to talk about for yeah. this episode. Uh, as, as we mentioned at the top, uh, next episode is going to be part two mm -hmm. of our build your own settings thing. And we're going to get into talking about things like religion and government, races, yep. all of those little nit nitpicky details that you can really uh, add a lot more um, details around for, for your setting. You really want to take it to that next level. Yep. <laughs> so until then... Stay nerdy, friends. friends. As you probably know, sharing is caring. So make sure to share Becoming DM with all of your friends that you think would benefit from it. Also, while we're at it, we're always looking for new ideas for episodes. So if you've got something you'd like to share with us, just go to becomingdm.com and click contact. We'd love to hear from you. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felisa Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks with our second half of the Build Your Own Setting episode. We'll see you then.